If you guys got your Bibles, go ahead and open to one of my favorite books of the Bible, the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. We're going to be in one of my favorite chapters of the Bible tonight, Ephesians chapter 2. Man, it's dark back there. You guys okay? No sleeping back there. All right. Hey, let me testify that I have tasted life and nothing satisfies like Jesus. Teenagers, the world tells you to look for it in all these different places. We have one mission tonight, to have you fall in love with Jesus. Are you tasting life right now? The world's throwing at you all these different things that they want you to taste and see that the world is good. It's a lie. The world system is against God. I have tasted life and nothing satisfies like Jesus. Last week we embarked on this seven-week journey through the book of Ephesians in our series entitled In Christ. I told you guys the story of my conversion and now when I came back to Christ in my early 20s, there were two books that shaped my life, the Gospel of John and the book of Ephesians. 155 verses, six chapters, four pages in most Bibles that will completely change your life. And last week in week one, we talked about what it looks like to be chosen, right? When you think about being chosen, something comes to your mind about being not chosen for something. School or PE class or that club or that sport or that band, whatever it is, that sits on your heart and you go, not being chosen for something is not good. Through Jesus and God's sovereignty, if you are in Christ tonight, which I pray you are, that means you have been chosen by God. And we unpack this beautiful um, word picture, right? This acrostic for the gospel in seven letters. Carfish, you guys remember it? I hope you've been memorizing it, right? Chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, informed, sealed, and you're an heir through Christ. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you would love us so much that you would send your one and only son to die on a cross for my sins, for every person's sins in here, because you love us. This incredible book that you've written to your people through your servant, the Apostle Paul, is jam-packed with gospel truth and love and beauty. And Father, in this chapter tonight, you changed my life. I pray that it changes lives in the same way tonight in this room. God, eliminate any distractions in here, please. All our fountains are in you. I've tasted life and nothing satisfies like you. Everything left me broken and empty and thirsty. Now my life drinks from the well that never runs dry the well of grace, and I want every teenager, the sound of my voice, to know that grace and to be changed by it, to live differently forever because we have an enemy that does not want them to have any of those things. Father, speak now. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please eliminate your distraction, guys. Put your phones up. 
This is God's time. Do you like bad news first or good news? What do you guys think? I've always been a bad news first kind of guy. Why? My wife bought me a shirt years ago. It's one of those life is good shirts. It's got a glass on it. It's got water half full. And it says what? Half full kind of guy. Right? That's just the way God made me. Is I look at a situation and I never see, right? I never try to see the bad. Well, there's only half of a cup. No, it's half full. It's almost full. So when somebody always offers me the bad news first or the good news, I always choose bad news. Let's get that out of the way so we can get to the good news. In chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians, Paul is going to unpack some really, really, really bad news. And I want to make sure that you tune into this because this is our condition when we are apart from God. Without any hope, this is our condition. And you guys remember in chapter 1 how we talked about these beautiful things, right? Carfish and men, chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, all these different things. And then he unpacks this beautiful prayer at the end of chapter 1 where we talked about, man, let's know God better. Let's know his riches. Let's know his power. But remember we talked about how chapters 1 through 3 are going to be jam-packed with gospel. And then 4 through 6 are going to unpack this, how we live this practically. These verses right here changed my life forever, and I pray they change yours. Here's your first blank tonight. Without Jesus, we were spiritually dead. Without Jesus, we were spiritually dead. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. The word of the Lord reads... And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Guys, this is not good. This is lots of bad news right off the bat. This is our spiritual condition. We are spiritually dead without Jesus. You and I are born into this. We don't like it. But when you're born into this world, you are born what? It's what you, it's called you have a sinful nature, right? I see sweet Sarah in the back who runs our preschool ministry here that I love, right? And you can ask Sarah this. You go back to the preschool ministry on Sunday morning, and man, we love all those babies, and man, they're running around having a blast. But here's what we don't have to teach them. They naturally take each other's goldfish, right? They have a heart that's just not bent towards God. And they're beautiful and they're made in the image of God and we love them. But we teach them what? Teach them God's word and teach them to what? Have their heart transformed by the grace of God. But what? This is bad news. Right from the get-go. This is what's called total depravity. Look at the words that Paul uses. Underline them in the text for me. Dead trespasses, sins, prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that's now at the work and the sons of disobedience, disobedience, that, that was my life years ago, passions of our flesh, desires of the body and the mind, children of wrath. Guys, this is not good. Do you see these words? Paul does not sugarcoat anything. He says right from the get-go, guys, that without Jesus, we're spiritually dead. We're in trouble. This is not good for you and I. 
This is not good for anyone. When I see these words, man, I think about my life before Christ. Walking in trespasses and sins, just living for KB, whatever I wanted to do, just doing those things. Disobedient. Guys, there's three huge things here in this text that Paul unpacks that's pulling on you as a teenager every single day. Did you see them? The world system that's against God. You have an enemy and his name's Satan and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life. And the third thing is your flesh. KB's flesh was just bent towards the things that I like to do. Pleasure and success and power and money and all these different things. And man, that's where my fountain was for a long time. And it left me broken and empty and lost. Guys, we are born with this sinful nature and we don't like it. But you know what? When I read these verses, guess what I know? I know good news is coming. Because this is bad. This is really bad. And you know what? Is that when you think about these things, when I think about these things, when I think about me in my life, sinful, separated from God, the world system pulling on me, my flesh pulling me away from God, and Satan, my enemy. Guys, these are memories for me that you know what they do? Memories fuel gratitude, don't they? When you realize where you've been and what God has done for you, memories are the greatest fuel for walking in what? Newness in life. Because Paul's getting ready to tell you two words that should change your life forever. You're going to see them twice in this text. Once it's going to say one word, and then in the last half of the text it's going to say another word. Right? Are you ready for them? These two words changed my life. Students, look at me. We're not playing any games tonight. This is the most important thing you will ever hear in your life. Remember how last week the gospel was in seven words? Here you go. The gospel in two words. You ready? But God. Look at verse four. But God being rich in mercy. Remember where you were? Dead in your trespasses and sins, following what? The prince of the power of the air, spirit that's at work in disobedience, passions of the flesh. Man, this is KB's old life. I didn't like it. You don't like it. But God. Man, this is beautiful, guys. The gospel in two words. But God. This is how much he loves you. This is what he did for you. Being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Write this down. With Jesus we are spiritually alive. Remember what you were without Jesus? You were spiritually dead. And when you're dead, what, the only thing that matters is life. When you're falling, and you're falling, and you don't know where the bottom is, the only thing that matters is what? Firm foundation. When you're drowning, the only thing that matters is air. And when you're separated from God, the only thing that matters is what? Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. The only thing that can happen is that God does something on your behalf. And he says, but God. Friends, do you see the character of God in this text? Please underline these words. 
merciful. He's rich in mercy. Guess what? He's got an unlimited supply. The bank account never runs out. Students, look at me. He's so rich in mercy, he wants to just give it to you all the time. You see the next word? His great love. That's what prompts it all. What else do you see in there? By grace you have been saved. What does that mean? When someone is gracious, full of grace, it's what? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And then I love this one. Did you see it in verse 7? Underline kindness. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It says this, right? The kindness of God leads people to repentance. Teenagers, don't look around and don't be distracted tonight, right? I don't want you to come back to me when you're 30 and say, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me that I was chasing the world system and it's going to leave me broken and empty? God's telling you tonight. Tonight's where you draw the line. No more games. But God, rich in mercy, kindness, love, grace, he pours it out on you. Why? Because of his character. It's who he is. Do you see it in the text? It's beautiful. Do you see how much he loves you? Do you see how much he wants a relationship with you? We used to be slaves to sin. Now through Jesus, we're alive and free. And praise be to God. Guys, what a gift. Do you realize this? This is a gift from God. You didn't do anything to earn it. Did you hear where KB was? Sons of disobedience, right? Total depravity, living my own life, doing all that. And God says, here's a free gift. You don't have to do anything to earn it. It's based on me and my character and what my son Jesus did for you on the cross. It's a beautiful, free gift. Guys, when someone gives you a gift, here's what you don't say, right? You don't say, how much do I owe you? Do you ever do that? No. When someone gives you a gift, what do you tell them? Thank you. Thank you. The appropriate response is a thankful and grateful heart, and then you're changed by it. It does something to your heart. Back before Christmas, you guys know the story of, of losing my friend Caleb. My friend Caleb lost his battle with bipolar disorder and depression. I miss my friend. Caleb and I were meeting for breakfast weekly at Cheney's. We had breakfast one Thursday morning and he was gone the next Thursday morning. I miss my friend. New Year's week, his dad said, Kevin, would it be okay if we meet for breakfast? Yes. So every Thursday or Friday now we meet and we sit at the same table in Cheney's and, and Paul, his dad sits in the seat that Caleb sat in every week when we study the Bible. Caleb was a big Division I college football player, played at Cincinnati, played at Delaware, and his dad was telling me the story this past Thursday over breakfast of how they, they have a friend who's taken all of his college football jerseys and sweatshirts and all that stuff, and they're making these beautiful quilts for family members and to give away to other people because they've got so much clothes. They've got so much stuff of Caleb's football stuff, right? They're obviously keeping some for themselves. I'm standing right out there in the hallway on Sunday morning. Paul walks up to me with a duffel bag full of stuff. It says Cincinnati football on it. it. says Caleb's name on it. He hands me a bag. 
full of Caleb's sweatshirts and football jerseys and all this different stuff. And I just wept. What do you say? How much do I owe you? No, here's what I said. I embraced him with tears in my eyes, and I said, I, I, I don't deserve this. Thank you, but shouldn't this be for family? And he said, you are family. You were there for him in his darkest moments. You were his friend when he was depressed, and, and, and people had turned their back on him. You were there for him. This past Thursday, he gave me this gift, and it sits in my office. Here's a picture. It's a picture of Caleb celebrating a sack when he was at Delaware. Paul and Kim wanted me to have this for my office. And here's what the back of it says. Kevin, it was rare for Caleb to celebrate. I hope every day in heaven is like this. I love you, brother. Paul. When someone gives you a gift, what do you do? You cherish it. It should change you. I will keep that with me forever. The clothes that they've given me, right? They're just clothes, but no, they mean something. Do you realize what you've been given in the gospel, guys? Do you realize that that young man is in the presence of Jesus today? And that's going to be our reality. But until you get there, when someone gives you a free gift and it's grace and it's mercy and it's love and it's what? The complete opposite of total depravity. It's love and grace and forgiveness forever. What should that do? That should change your heart forever. It changed my heart forever. And you live a life of gratitude because of what's been given to you. And here's what you do. In Jesus, we are now God's workmanship. Write that down. In Jesus, we are God's workmanship. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Underline it. Star it. KB didn't do anything to earn it. It's a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Guys, no one climbs the ladder to get back to God. God has to do something on our behalf and he did it. For we are his workmanship. You guys remember the NLT? Remember, we've been studying this verse for the last couple weeks. Your Bible might say masterpiece. I really like the ESV because it says you're his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Guys, this is what a changed life looks like. You've been saved by grace through faith. Two huge words, underline them. By grace. It's a gift to you. Getting something you don't deserve, and then faith is what? Man, believing in something you can't see. I believe that Jesus died on that cross for me. I believe that my sins put him there. I believe that after three days he came out of that grave, he rose again, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's prepared a place for me, and I'm going to see my friend Caleb again. Praise be to God. But it's by grace through faith. I heard one commentator say it like this. Like in big cities, they have these aqueduct systems, right? My dad's a civil engineer. One of my dad's last projects before he retired was he went to the city of London and he helped them completely change their water treatment system and all that different stuff and how the water got to different boroughs of the cities in England, in London, right? And you have these aqueducts that take the water and take all those things to all the different places. Now, I want you to think 
of faith like being the aqueduct and grace is what's flowing through it. You have a heart that what? Has faith and you let that grace flow through it and you get what? Now you've tasted life. And nothing satisfies. Praise be to God. Guys, you're new. 2 Corinthians 5, you're a masterpiece. You're his poem to the world. You're completely new. You should be changed. Remember? Remember the bachelor party story with one of my best friends? He sits down next to me the last night at dinner. He says, Kevin, I've been waiting to ask you this all week. What's different about you? You're not the same guy we went to college with. And I told him, praise be to God, because a man hung on a cross and died for my sins. And I lived my life the way I wanted to for years. No, no more. He purchased my life. He deserves all of me. And I'm going to tell everybody about it until he calls me home. Friends, you're his workmanship. You're his masterpiece. Do you see that he already has good things for you to do? How amazing is that? I went to Moorhead High School this morning at 10 a.m. and met with the principal and assistant principal and Sage's mom, Tori, our, our director of events and all that stuff. Why? So that on March the 5th for the weekend, you guys can blitz that whole campus. And guess what? God already has it prepared for you. And you're thinking, well, that's not my school, right? But God needs you there. So that what? Those teachers and that campus and this community sees the love of God when you go there and serve them and get nothing in return. Praise be to God. God's already prepared it for you. All you got to do is walk in it. I pray you'll show up that day and serve with joy. What does faith look like? This is a huge part of this text. What does faith look like? Three key elements to faith. Write these down. Number one is knowledge. Number one is knowledge. Number two is heart response. You see, in verses one through three, there's knowledge there for KB. Is that what? I'm dead in my trespasses and sins and separated from God, and I don't like it. He made me on purpose and for a purpose, and that's to have life with him and to have life eternal and to be with him. So I have knowledge of what? I have knowledge that I have a problem that I can't do anything about and I need help. And that what? That help has been offered in the person of Jesus. Praise be to God. Second thing with faith is a heart response. It should do something to your heart. Guys, if there's no fruit in your life, if you've been changed by grace and you say what? I'm walking in faith. Show me. You should see fruit in my life. You can ask my wife, Tracy. She'll tell you, is there fruit in Kevin's life? I pray she says yes, because she knew me before. Something radically should change in your life when what? When grace falls on your heart, you're changed forever. And then lastly, the last one, commitment. This is what faith is. Knowledge of who you are, right, and what's been done for you through Jesus. Heart response, gratitude, thankfulness. Man, praise be to God. And then what? Full commitment. Lock in. Give him everything you got. Teenager, look at me. Nothing in this world is going to satisfy. Nothing. The groups that you're trying to get into and all that different stuff, I talked to two people from high school. Two people that love me for who I am. I pray you keep all these gospel relationships and you take them with you the rest of your life. But what, when I knew I was a sinner and that Jesus saved me and it changed my heart, he's got my life. He's got everything. 
until he calls me home. Friends, does he have your heart? A beautiful way to think about this is we just came off of Valentine's Day, right? Monday. And I think about my wife, and this November we'll be married 20 years. She's one of the biggest gifts of grace to me in my life. But when you think about it, what? When Tracy and I started dating is what? I wanted to know more about her. I I just wanted to know her more. We're from different parts of the country, and this knowledge of what? Wow, this could be my wife. I really like her. I want to know more about her. Man, I'm studying her. I'm learning everything, right? The gifts, the lining that stuff up, right? And then what? Now it goes to my heart, right? Now every time I see her, something changes, right? I can't wait to see her. I can't wait till she calls me. I can't wait to just smell her perfume. I can't wait to do any of that stuff. God does something in your heart, and then what? When we what? When we said I do? On November the 16th, 2002, what happened? Full commitment for the rest of my life. Praise be to God. Friends, when you come to faith in Jesus, there should be knowledge of who you are and what's been done for you in Jesus. There should be a heart response. It changes your life forever. And then what? Full commitment. Verse 11. Paul shifts gears a little bit, but he reminds us again of who you once were, and now he's going to tell you something amazing that you're going to take the small group. Verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Write this down. Who you once were separated, separated from God. Paul just says it a little bit differently here, right? He says, remember that you at one time, right? You Gentiles, remember Gentiles are people who are not Jewish. They're what? Separated. It says you're separated from God. You weren't what? You're alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, right? Remember the Jewish people thought the Gentiles had to do something special to come back to God? And and Paul says, no, man, Christ died once and for all for everyone. It It tears down these walls right? You were separated from God. And when you're separated from somebody, what happens? Look at these words, separated, alienated, strangers, no hope without God. What do you think of? You know what I think of when I study this text is I think of all the barriers in this world that separate us. And as Christians, if we're being honest, we put up lots of things to separate us too, don't we? Age, appearance, intelligence, economic status, race, right? Jesus says, no, I came to what? Man, tear those down. He's knocked down those barriers and made us what? It's what's called, maybe it says this in yours. Here's what it says on my Bible over this section. One in Christ. What does it say on yours? That what? We are one. One body of Christ. One in Christ. And there's only one name who died for all. And his name is Jesus. Guys, the cross is the focus of our unity. Number two, write this down. So if we were what? If we were separated from God, we need help. What Jesus has done for you, reconciled you. He's reconciled you and I. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us 
both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create himself in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Praise be to God. Did you see it again? Remember how it was in verse 4? But God, I hope you underline this one. But now in Christ Jesus. Praise be to God. Guys, this is good news. This is hope for you. You're not separated anymore. You're not alienated. You're what? Guys, this is what? Again, bad news first. Great news right after it. it bad news makes the good news more beautiful, doesn't it? Man, it changed my life forever. It says Jesus is our peace. We just came off of Christmas, right? Isaiah tells us that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Guys, it tells us here that peace has a name and his name is Jesus. Whatever you're struggling with in life is Jesus wants to be your peace. You see, there's two things going on here. Is you and I need what? We need peace with God. And then when you get the peace with God, guess what happens? You get the peace of God in your heart to go love every person in your path. But first you have to what? You have to make peace with God, and he's given you a way through Jesus. Guys, the world is watching. Look at me. We have a world outside that desperately wants peace, don't they? They want peace. It's restless. It's broken. There's so much, man, just disunity and all these different stuff. The world is watching. Christians, they want peace. Let's show them who the source of peace is. His name is Jesus. Guys, we have access to God. Write this down, number three. You were separated. Jesus reconciled you. And now here's what we have become. Family. You are now family. Verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Guys, we are family now. We are one family, capital C, Church of Jesus Christ. On mission to what? Take this peace to the world and take this love to the world. But you remember where we started. Do you see the bookends of this? Look at me, teenager. Do you see the bookends? Do you remember verses 1 through 3, how bad things were? But God, but in Christ Jesus, now do you see the bookend? You remember when you're separated from God? I don't know about you guys, but when I'm separated from my family, KB just doesn't do good. The hardest two weeks of the year for me is, is Fuge Camp and Mission Trip, and especially if we go overseas. When I spent two weeks in, in India 10 years ago, changed my life forever. Man, I cried like a baby. Y'all know me, I cry at commercials. But man, I cried big time when I, man, two weeks away from Tracy and the kids, man, I was devastated. So what happens when you're away from your family? Jesus has made you part of the family. You're not outside anymore. You have what? Your life has been purchased. Do you remember how bad it was in verses one through three? And now he says, you're mine. And now he says, you're in a new family. Let's live together. Who's the cornerstone? Jesus. Who's the holy temple? You and me. 
Christ lives in you. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. It says what? Do you see the word picture? Is that all these stones are being built around the cornerstone. That's you and I. Man, I love watching you guys in your circles, in your small groups, right? Because what are we doing? We're rallying around the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ through the scriptures. You have small group leaders in there, but all of you are what? If you're in Christ, you're saints in your temples. That what? We are to learn the scriptures more. And what? When it gets inside of you and it changes you from the inside out, you are what? You're the household of God. Changed forever by grace. And then you get to go live in it. And praise be to God. We are now kingdom citizens. You know what it means to be a saint? Different and set apart. Is your life different than the world? My wife would tell you years ago, my life was the world. I wanted everything that the world wanted. I wanted everything Satan wanted for my life. Fame and fortune and all these different things, man. Until what? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. By grace through faith changed my life forever. But God. What is a family built on? A family is built on what? Love, service, commitment, faithfulness. This is who we are in Christ. This is our new family. We should what? We should be doing these things every single day. Look how John Piper says it. If we do not cherish him as Savior, not on your outlines on the screen. If we do not cherish him as a Savior, we do not have him as a Savior. If we do not know and feel our need for a Savior, we will not cherish him. For he is a great God of wonders. He makes the dead to live. He sets the captives free. And he will spend eternity, eternity lavishing the riches of his kindness on those who trust him. Sign me up for it all day, every day, until God calls me home. Praise be to God. Why? You remember my gift analogy with Caleb? Because I had to learn to cherish my Savior. Do you cherish him or are you going through the motions, teenager? If you're in Christ and you cherish him and you love him, then our life should say everything that we do. Now, if this is hard, guess what? This smacked me in the face years ago and it changed my life. I drew a dividing line. You can ask my wife. Everything changed. Everything about me changed. One word grace. An innocent man hung on a cross and died for my sins? I had heard the story, but I had never tasted it. Teenager, I pray you taste it. Here's your bottom line as you go to small group. But God, be transformed by his grace and live out your faith in gospel community. Two words that should change your life. Be transformed by his grace right? When I was living my life the way, what, what, what was I doing? I was just trampling on grace, living the way I wanted to. No, when you know grace, you don't trample on it. You cherish it. And then you do what? You live out your faith in gospel community. This is what you have. Make sure you thank God for it and then live in it. Man, love it. Love his word. Pray. You're going to go to small group right now. And I pray you look around that circle and go, praise be to God for gospel community. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Two words that changed my life forever. But God. Father, may that never get old. I pray every teenager in here knows those two words and they love it, they cherish it. 
that it changes them forever. Thank you for a room full of adults that have been changed by two words as well, but God. And on a Wednesday night, they've come to pour into teenagers. Because teenagers, you have the same three things that were pulling on KB when I was 16, 17, 18, and my life crumbled. The world system, Satan, and my flesh. Jesus said, I've come to kill them all, and now you're mine. I love you. Walk in newness of life. You are 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You are a new creation. God has great things planned for you. Be transformed by his grace and go live out your faith in gospel community. Father, will you speak through our small group leaders now? In Christ's name I pray. Amen.